Welcome to the Small Baller Podcast. My name is Trevor Reddick, and as always, I'm joined by a man who would not enjoy singing Carrie Underwood, Brandon Siegel. How you doing? You're acting like I, I, I'm doing well, but you're acting like I just despise Carrie Underwood. I do despise country music. Uh, Carrie Underwood's fine. I'm not too concerned. I definitely would love to see the third member of our podcast, Ben O'Brien, dance to Carrie Underwood. Um, but he is not here with us today, which is very sad. That is okay. Uh, hopefully we can get a dancing video of, of him, because that would be hilarious. Uh, if we do get that, that will be posted on our Twitter. Mark yeah, my words. He, he never sent the uh, video. I was like asking. I was like, Ben. You gotta, you gotta send me a video of you singing Carrie Underwood, you know? Like, I, I want it. That would be, like, the best video ever. It would probably go viral. I, I agree. I would set it as my background. I, 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 it would be, like, a crowning jewel in my, it would, in it my would collection get, of photos and it videos. It would get a million views. And a million? That's, yeah. that's low <laughs> numbers. Uh, it would get way more than a million. That man dancing has to be one of the funniest things ever, because he has no rhythm, none. You've seen him, you've seen him dance before? I, I I've I've seen him dance very very little, okay. very very little, uh, just the, the smallest of amounts. I'm sure if we get a couple margaritas in him, he'll he'll be dancing, and I'm sure he's he's drinking quite a bit. Sounds good. Um, but that's okay. We'll get Ben back soon. Uh, but we have an exciting episode today. We got a lot coming up in sports and a lot that's happening. Um, you know, NFL draft is coming up, and of course we're right in the midst of the NBA playoffs. Um, so let's kind of get right into it. We only have one small uh, talk topic today, which is about Jay Wright. Uh, Trevor, I was completely blindsided yeah. to hear Jay Wright was retiring. Like, completely me blindsided. Too. Me too. I mean, Jay Wright, to me, because we, we never really, I don't think we officially were like talk, had this conversation of like who's the best coach on the podcast, but it's something I was thinking about, and I was talking to you and Ben about it in our like little group text. Um, and I said, like, I think Jay Wright's the best coach of college basketball. That's what I thought. Um, even after the season, like, despite the fact, you know, they got the Final Four and, you know, Kansas went on to win, but they fell short. But I still was like, I think Jay Wright's probably the best coach in college basketball. So for him to retire at, you know, this level of or this height of greatness that he's at, you know, coming off of, you know, two national championships in the past, like, six years now, uh, had another chance for a third one uh, this year. And, you know, just consistently, Villanova, even if they don't have, like, the top recruiting classes, even if they don't have the top talent, they always find a way to, like, play this very consistent level of basketball where they have these great offenses, they take care of the ball, you know, very little turnovers, they play you know, great defense, smart team, well coached, and Jay Wright decides to retire. Now, uh, he, you know, he said that he thought he lacked the same edge this season that he maybe has enjoyed in the past. Um, I think that was one of the reasons he cited. So, you know, I mean, he is he is getting older. He's getting up there. He has been coaching for a while now. So, in 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 that sense, like it is understandable, I guess, when you when you hear what he says, uh, you know, in the the news conference about it. But at the same time, I felt that he was at the height of his coaching ability, really. And I felt he was still the best coach in the game. So it's just shocking. And it's unfortunate uh, for, you know, the game, for college basketball, to lose a coach like Jay Wright. You know, we lost Roy Williams last year. Uh, We just lost Coach K this year. And now we also lose Jay Wright this year. So a lot of these great coaches, you know, that have been kind of moving out of the, you know, retiring, moving out of the game the last couple of years. And now, as we have been talking about, even before Jay Wright retired, we're starting to move into this new era 
with like you know some of these younger coaches like you have like Chris Beard even though he didn't have like the the best season this year obviously Bill Self is still going strong he's been going strong for a little while now just won a national championship uh you have you know Cal Perry but he's he's been there for a while but you have some of these newer guys that are starting to uh you know uh make their way in like Mark Adams at Texas Tech and there's so many other guys that I can go through and, and mention but it's really interesting now that we have this new era I mean I don't know what do, what do you think about what do you think about this decision from Jay Wright Brandon yeah, I, it was so surprising, and it's it's really sad to see, like, these guys that... I mean, he's been coaching our whole lives, pretty much. He's been, you know, Villanova's coach for 21 years. Um, and, you know, it, it's interesting, like, I know Jerry Seinfeld, uh, on, you know, when they ended Seinfeld, they wanted to end on the top. And they were getting $1 million an episode for Seinfeld, but they, they wanted to end on the top. And this kind of feels like a similar thing. Like, I really feel like Jay Wright went out on his own terms, even though it did get leaked a little early. Um... And also, he went on on the top. I mean, they, they had a really good run. I, Trevor, they they really had a shot to win before, uh, what's his name, Justin, Brandon, Ju- right, that Ju- went down? Justin Moore, yeah. Justin Moore, sorry. Uh, before Justin Moore went down, I mean, they had a real shot at, at winning. And they made a Final Four. I, he really went on on top, and he went on his terms. So uh, I'm kind of content with it. And I feel like everyone kind of likes Jay, right, at the very least. Like, it's not like Coach K, or you know, there's a lot of people that hate Coach K, because Duke. But I, I I feel like everyone likes Jay Wright, and I'm, I'm kind of just happy to see him go off on his own terms. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And and obviously, you know, we, we kind of talked about the transfer portal actually before the podcast. But, you know, you got to wonder if maybe there's an aspect of that that factors into the decision, you know, these coaches who have been coaching for so long are making. The fact that, you know, so many players are using the transfer portal, are leaving, and that creates a lot of uncertainty. It, it creates more difficulty in recruiting for coaches. And, you know, that might have a, a, at least a small part of the decision as well. Uh, but, yeah, ultimately it's just unfortunate uh, because Jay Wright, I, I love to watch his – and, again, you know, Villanova, I, I think, will still probably be pretty good. We, I mean, who knows, I guess, um, you know, because Jay Wright was such a huge part of those teams. But, uh, you know, it, it's just going to be interesting to see. And uh, I believe uh, the new coach, Kyle Neptune, it'll be interesting to see what he does with Villanova going forward, um, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and, and we'll see. Yeah, no, we'll, we'll have to see. Uh, I'm excited to see where Villanova goes. I hope they can keep the same level of excellence. Um, and as long as they don't beat Michigan, I don't really care what happens. Um, but let's let's move on here and get, of course, to the NBA playoffs, Trevor. Um, we have... A ton of great series it seems like going on some surprises even um so why don't you start our breakdown today yeah so you so you know speaking of surprises brandon i i wanted to i wanted to ask you so far you're looking mm-hmm. at like some of these box scores you're looking at like you know who leads these series what is the thing that to you stands out most i mean it'd probably have to be I and mean, we talked about this briefly before um it has to be one of two things either the celtics up 3-0 that's definitely surprising. Mm-hmm. Or the Grizzlies and uh, Timberwolves tied to a piece. Yeah. Um, the Grizzlies, to me, are a really great basketball team. Not that the Wolves aren't, but I just don't feel like they're on the Grizzlies' level at all. Maybe you disagree with me. You definitely know more than I do. Um, but either that or the Celtics-Nets series are, are quite surprising. Yeah, so, we, so yeah, because I agree. The, the Celtics is the most surprising to me. Um, I did pick the Celtics in seven, but for them to be at 3-0, for Kevin Durant to be down 3-0 in the first round, like, 
never would have expected that. So let's start with that because I think that's definitely the main headline here um, in you know these playoffs. So the Celtics, they took a 3-0 lead last night. Uh, they won 109-103. to 103. This game was in Brooklyn, and they're up 3-0. I mean, you know, we have rumors of Ben Simmons. He's supposed to return in Game 4, um, apparently. I don't know. Honestly, for me, with Ben Simmons, I, I always say, like, I'll believe it when I see him actually on the floor, you know, like playing in a uniform. <laughs> He's running mm-hmm. up and down. Uh, but he is supposed to come back for Game 4. Uh, but they're down 3-0 now, so I don't really think that matters um, at all at this point. Um, not sure if it would have mattered regardless of the situation um, necessarily. When um, was the last time he's played? So last time he played was, uh, I think, last—so whenever they got eliminated, last June, I think, um, against the Atlanta Hawks. So it was in that game, I think Game 7, when he had, like, the—, the I think he kind of like passed up a little layup. He passed the ball instead. Like that was in the last couple minutes of the game, and that was his last time in an NBA game. So yeah, I mean it's yeah. I don't think he's gonna make any difference on this next team at the start. Yeah, I mean I I don't think he certainly coming into a game four down three zero. I don't expect him to have like a huge impact necessarily, um, but we'll see. So, but with this game, I mean. Again, I, I think we have to start with, with Durant and just, like, he hasn't looked like himself. You know, we haven't talked on the podcast since the series started. Um, so we, we've seen three games since our last podcast. Durant in all three games has not been what I expect him, what people expect him to be. Like, I think he's only averaging about 22 points in the series. Um, hasn't been very efficient. Last night in Game 3, he was held once again to only 16 points, 8 assists, 8 rebounds. So yeah, he shot a little bit better from the field. But still, when you're Kevin Durant and you only have 16 points, that's just, it's very unexpected, you know. And it's so surprising to me because a player, you know, of, I guess a player of Kevin Durant's level of greatness, like, we rarely see this with him. We see this with other guys like, you know, Jimmy Butler, who I love. Like, he'll have moments where he's great, and then he'll have other moments where he just, like, lays an egg, and he has, like, 12 points or something like that. On on Kevin Durant's team, Kyrie Irving. Kyrie Irving has plenty of games in the past, every single year he's in the playoffs, where he lays an egg. Sometimes he's great, sometimes he just lays an egg. Kevin Durant, that hardly ever happens. So for this to now happen, arguably, three games straight, I mean, I don't think he's really been great any of the three games. He was all... He was fine in game one he was not very good in game two and not very good you know last night so it's very strange and you got to give credit to the Celtics defense what they are doing you know being more physical Jason Tatum taking on the challenge of guarding Kevin Durant and then Jason Tatum on the other end on offense is going out there and averaging about 30 points eight assists and five rebounds I mean it's it's pretty nuts what Jason Tatum is doing this is really like um you know I mean Jason Tatum he's already he's already like a star superstar He's already a top 10 player in my opinion, but this is like another, like he's, Jason Tatum is leveling up in my opinion. He is taking another step into like, okay, now we're looking at Jason Tatum as like potentially like an all-time guy, like a guy we could talk about. He's still young. He's 24. He's two months older than me, but this is a guy coming into his prime now that, that, you know, he has so much potential and what he can do on both ends of the ball offense and defense is just incredible and he's not the only one doing a good job on Durant I mean you have kind of a group effort you have Jalen Brown from time to time you have Marcus Smart coming and helping out you know double teaming Durant just like the pressure that they're putting on him making him feel uncomfortable it's an incredible effort 
Um, but at the same time, it's not like Durant hasn't hit difficult shots against great defense before because that's another narrative that's like, oh, like Durant has never been defended this well, which, I mean, maybe he hasn't, I guess, but like he's went against some really good teams. Like he when he was with the Thunder, he went against Golden State Warriors back in 2016, who were who had 73 wins. They were one of, if they weren't the best defense, they were certainly like a top three defense. So he, he I mean, he's went against LeBron and Dwayne Wade in the finals in 2012. So Durant's played against really good defenses, and he still performed at the level we expect him and know him to do, where he's averaging 30 points and shooting 50% from the field. So there is something different about this Kevin Durant, but nevertheless, you got to give credit to what the Celtics have done. Uh, Marcus Smart, the defensive player of the year, Jason Tatum, Al Horford stepping up as a role player, Grant Williams. Um, and, and it's just really incredible to see in Boston now, up 3-0. I mean, no team has ever come back from 3-0, so Boston's winning the series. But Boston has a real shot now to win the title. I mean, we're, we're going to talk about, like, the Bucks, who Middleton has an injury. He's supposed to be out two, three weeks. Devin Booker for the Suns. He has an injury. He's supposed to be out, like, two, three weeks, something like that. There's a window now open for Boston where they could make a run here, and they could win the title. They totally could. Yeah, it's super interesting to see, like, I mean, we have these games, like, Kyrie and Durant just, like, didn't really show up in, mm-hmm. in this game three. Yeah. Um, so, super duper interesting to see. So, next series, moving on. Um, what, what series would you like to talk about next? Um, so, let, let's go to the other one you mentioned. Uh, T-Wolf's Grizzlies. Okay. We can go to that one. So, tied 2-2 two to two in this one. And, I guess, you know, you have, like, the, the trash talk aspect. And you have, like, the protest aspect. Like, uh, you know, we, we, we know that these fans that are they're showing up to protest the T-Wolf's owner... Um, that are getting kicked out like that's been a thing and then also like there's an element of trash talk like on social media you had after i think it was game three there was a clip of carl anthony towns saying like we're in minnesota now like with like uh kind of like laughing about it when the timberwolves had like a 15 point lead early in game three well the grizzlies ended up winning game three and after the game jaw tweeted he like quote tweeted and he was just like yeah we're in minnesota now um, so there's a lot of trash talk going back and forth between these two teams, which I love, uh, both young teams, young teams with a lot of talent. And, um, you, you know, you were kind of talking about like, yeah, Memphis is like, you think Memphis is a lot better than Minnesota. And like, I would have agreed, like I picked Memphis in five, you know? So I felt the same way because all year Memphis was way better than Minnesota. They won like 56 games. Minnesota only won like, I think 45, 46, I don't know, something like that. Um, but at the same time, Minnesota has always had a lot of talent, you know, like Colony Towns, when he, you know, is at playing to his potential, when he is playing like he is capable of, he is immensely talented. Anthony Edwards was the number one pick a couple years ago. He, like, he's like six, he's like six, six. He's like super strong. He's big. He very athletic and he can shoot the ball. He's like a, he's like a supersized, like Victor Oladipo or something. I don't, I don't even know. He's, Anthony Edwards is insane. So he's obviously immensely talented. You have D'Angelo Russell, who was, I think, the number two pick in whatever his draft was to the Lakers. He's immensely talented. So they have a lot of talent. So to see them playing like this and and tying the series, I I don't want to say it's that surprising. I mean, I didn't pick it, so it's a little surprising to me. But, you know, the T-Wolves have a lot of talent. And Carl Anthony Towns, who wasn't playing well in games two and three, 
rebounded in game four. He did. He had a big performance, uh, especially late in the game, and the T-Wolves edged him out. I mean, it was a really good performance from Cat. Uh, final score of this one was 119-118, and Carl Anthony Towns had 33 points, 14 rebounds, and 3 assists. So, really good game from Cat. Like, the big, the biggest problem with Cat has been that he gets into foul trouble, and not only does he, like, get into foul trouble because, you know, like, teams are going at him, uh, you know, they're kind of attacking him on defense. Carl Anthony Towns just commits, like, the dumbest fouls. Like, you know, he'll, like, slap down on someone's hand. It's just, like, horrible timing, and some of the fouls he commits really don't make sense. But he did rebound in this game, and, you know, it's 2-2. And I guess if you're Minnesota and you were looking at it, like, before the series, like, uh, like we could be up 2-2 after four games. I think Minnesota, I think the team and their fans would probably be pretty happy with that. Um, so, you know, good good situation for Minnesota there. Yeah, I'm interested to see how this series pans out because, like, to me, I feel like the Grizzlies are just way better than the Wolves. They, I mean, they are better. They like, are better, yes. And even if you look at like the teams, like I feel like Memphis is really deep. They have a lot of bench players that are like this guy could play meaningful minutes. Oh, 100 percent. I mean, just looking down at uh, like Memphis's lineup, like John Morant's obviously the star, but then after that, like Desmond Bain was the most improved candidate, and 34. What? He had 34 yeah, past Yeah, Desmond, Desmond Bain, Bain had 34. 34. He's like a most improved candidate. Then you have like Dylan Brooks, who I love, you know, from Oregon. You have Jaron Jackson, who was mm-hmm. in the defensive player of the I year I have nightmares about Dylan Brooks. <laughs> yeah, I bet you do. Uh, you know, what was that, like a Final Four game or an Elite Eight game or something against Michigan? Uh, yeah. I think it was Elite Eight. Yeah, I think I remember that game because I think that was a really good game. And that game. Michigan team is one of the best that they've ever had. <laughs> That's that's what's so sad about it. Like they should, they could have won. I essentially should have. They lost. Yeah, but they could have right. won. Right. Yeah. So I mean, they have Jarrett Culver not even playing. He's a top ten. Yeah, pick. exactly. Jarrett Culver not playing. Steven Adams getting limited minutes. Um, you have like Xavier Tillman, Michigan State alum, right there for you, Brandon. Zaire Williams, immensely talented. Brandon Clark, former Gonzaga Bulldog. So. And he's been playing really well. Brandon Clark, 15.7 rebounds in this series. Pretty, yeah, he looks like he's been playing super Pretty well. darn good there for Brandon Clark. Um, so that's good to see. They have a lot of talent. And they go deep on their bench. I mean, they play they played like nine guys 10-plus minutes. Yeah, they do. I mean, and it's going to be interesting to see. And, you know, they're, they're still in the playoffs. But, like, in this offseason for Memphis, they may have some decisions to make. And if it's not this season, then certainly next season. Um, because they have a lot of guys that you could reasonably say like could get more money than they're currently making now. A lot of these guys are young, and there's a lot yeah. of other teams out there that can use a Brandon Clark, that can use a uh, Xavier Tillman. Like these guys could be really good pieces on other teams where you know they they have missing pieces. Where Memphis doesn't have a lot of missing pieces. So that'll be interesting. Um, we'll move to a couple other series. We'll go quick on a couple of these ones. So Heat Hawks, uh, my Miami Heat, they lead two to one. Uh, they've been doing a really good job on Trey Young, really all series until game until a fourth quarter of Game Three, where he you know started playing better. He you know he got drew some fouls, hit a floater, hit a big three, uh, and the Heat fell short. You know, with with the Heat, they've been playing really well. They've been playing great on defense. Um, in Game One, they they smothered Atlanta. I don't think Atlanta knew it hit them. But the one thing, and and this is this is kind of similar to what my concerns always been with the Heat. It's like the late game offense, right? It's it's all because it's always been like they don't have a Kevin Durant or a Jason Tatum. 
that's gonna or Luka Doncic that's gonna take the last shot that like you're confident in every single time. They have different guys who can do that, and Jimmy Butler is the guy who most often is put in those situations. He was put in that situation against Atlanta, um, and he came up short. He he had the the miss where he like went right and took like a long two, or I think it was a three. And he missed that shot, defended very well. And even the possession before that, he dribbled about 22 seconds off the clock and took a jumper, um, which I I was not happy with, uh, to say the least. But that's kind of the that's kind of the one thing you look at with Miami, and it's like, well, late game offense. They're playing Milwaukee, they're playing Boston, or they're playing Philly in a second or third round series. Like, can they? Like, how do they execute? Like, how do you run? Do you keep giving it to Jimmy? Do you switch it up and you say, hey, Tyler Hero, here you go. You're, I'm going to give you the ball with five seconds left. We're going to do a pick and roll with you and Bam, and you have the option of like a, you know, uh, a spot-up uh, shot, like a top-of-the-key free throw line, or maybe you can pass it to Bam and he can get like a, a layup or a dunk or something like that. So they have there's a lot of different options they can go with, and not even to mention Kyle Lowry went down with a, a minor injury, hamstring. They said it's not serious, so I'm not super worried about it. But that that also I think contributed to why Miami lost because Kyle Lowry really, really like kind of keeps the team grounded, keeps them steady. You know, he's a very like uh, consistent and calming presence when you know Jimmy Butler gets a little hectic, you know, jacking up shots or Tyler Hero jacks up shots or whatever the case may be. Lowry's kind of that calming presence that to me, despite the fact that if you go look at Kyle Lowry's like averages, you look at his box scores. Nothing really stands out. Like he's probably only having like eh, ten points, nine assists. To me, Kyle Lowry is, you know, if not the most important player on the team, he's definitely like the second or third most important player on the team. I think he's been really good, despite the the box score not showing that. Uh, next series, Sixers Raptors. Um, they're up three one. Joel Embiid has just been incredible, and that's really, I think, really all needs to be said. I mean, the Raptors, you know, they they they, just, they don't really have a top-level star like Siakam was good in Game 4, you know, and they got a win. They they survived the sweep. But ultimately, Joel Embiid is just too good. He had that buzzer beater at the end of Game 3, uh, which was incredible. I don't know what the Raptors were thinking on the defense, on the inbound pass. But Embiid's been incredible. I mean, what, what do you think? Did you see that Joel Embiid shot, Brandon? What do you think about the way he's been playing? I mean, Embiid's Embiid. He's, he's an MVP candidate for a reason. It uh, doesn't seem like this past game he played quite as well, 5 for 17. Um, probably a, a, yeah. a, a bigger reason why they lost. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I mean, ultimately, like, the Raptors just don't have... They don't have the ability to keep up with someone like him. It's just not in the cards. Yeah, so he he's just really taken over. Uh, my guy, Tyrese Maxey, he's really stepped up. And Harden, you know, he's been all right. He's been fine. Um, but... This isn't a series that presents the opportunity for his flaws and his, you know, yeah, I guess just his flaws to be, uh, I guess, brought to the surface. But if they play Miami, you know, here in this next series, which I shouldn't keep, like, assuming, like, oh, Miami, you know, Miami has to beat the Hawks first. So let's let's get by that. We're, we're only up 2-1. We have to get by the Hawks. But in the next series, I mean, I think that might be a tougher series than this Raptors one for the Sixers and for James Harden. So in that next series, that's when I think the microscope is going to be on James Harden a little bit more. Um, last series in the East, Bucks bulls um, It's just, it's kind of sad for for Bulls, for the Bulls, the Bulls fans, uh, because they did win a game two, uh, a very important game two in Milwaukee. DeRozan had 41 points. 
And then they're at the United Center Friday night. You know, uh, one of my friends was at the game. I wanted a ticket to the game badly. <laughs> I, I really wish I could have gone. I, I couldn't get a ticket. But um, the Bulls just laid an egg. You know, they lost by 30 points. It was ugly, very ugly. And um, the Bucks now, even without Middleton, seem to be in control of this series. Um, we'll see when Middleton comes back because that's going to be very important. Middleton is an extremely critical piece to this team repeating as NBA champions. So we'll see when he does come back. Uh, they're going to need him in the Boston series. They're really going to need him in the Boston series. Um, but for now, I think they have enough, even without Middleton, with the way Giannis is playing, the way Drew Holiday is playing, mm-hmm. um, especially with his defense, they have enough to get by uh, the Chicago Bulls. Yeah, that's, it's going to be interesting to see how these first rounds kind of wrap up. Anything else you'd like to talk about in the NBA playoffs before we move on? Yeah, so um, again, Suns Pels. Suns are up 2-1. Booker is injured. Uh, Chris Paul's being Chris Paul. I mean, you can go look at Chris mm-hmm. Paul's box scores. He's incredible. I'm kind of rooting for the Suns. I'm not going to lie to you, Trevor. I, I don't have any issue with that. I mean, Chris Paul is... I want Chris Paul to get a I, ship. I do too. If, if the Heat can't win the championship, I would prefer it to be Chris Paul and the Suns. Um, cause he's awesome. So they're up two to one. Um, I think they'll still win this series in maybe it's six games without Booker, but even if it's five, whether it's five or six, I think the Suns will win Mavs jazz. It's two, two, uh, the jazz did survive last night, but man, uh, the jazz, it's, it's not looking good for the jazz. Luca's back now. And I think that'll probably be enough for the Mavs to now take this series the way it's gone so far. Uh, Warriors Nuggets. This series is over. It's 3-0. And the Warriors are going to sweep. Your prediction, I think, was a great one, Brandon. The Warriors have looked incredible. Um, Go watch their death lineup. Uh, You know, anyone listening, if you haven't seen the Warriors play, their their death lineup with Steph Curry, Klay Thompson, Jordan Poole, Andrew Wiggins, Draymond Green. It is incredible. They They are outscoring the Nuggets by insane margins when that lineup is on the floor. They are very mm-hmm. good. And Jordan Poole is like a star. Like he's, I mean, what do, what do you think about Jordan Poole, former Michigan, uh, former Michigan man? I, I, I love Jordan Poole. I mean, he's, he's the guy. He's, he's such a great player. And at Michigan, he had this like complete offensive skill set that was wonderful to watch. And it's, it's nice to see that it's kind of coming to fruition in the NBA. You know, and I, I was talking to you before the podcast, he can pass, he can score from all ends of the court, he can drive, he can finish. He really is a very complete offensive player where he kind of lacked was this defense, and that's why he was drafted lower in the first round. He wasn't that low, but lower mm-hmm. in the first round. Um, and also, he came out in his second year, so he's a, he's a little bit older now. He's probably like 24 at this point or something, or 23 maybe. Um, yeah. Maybe, maybe, maybe a little older than that, potentially. I don't remember exactly. Yeah, um, I think he's like our age. But he's been an excellent and pleasant surprise um, to see in this uh, for this Warriors team and in this playoffs. Yeah, he's been awesome. So the the Warriors, they'll be interesting uh, to see them, you know, moving forward. Man, that a potential Suns Warriors Western Conference Finals. You don't you don't even understand how much I want that series, Brandon. Suns Warriors, we need to have it. That series would be incredible. And now. That would be amazing. With more uncertainty with the Suns, the Warriors might win it. They might. I, I I don't want to back off my Suns pick, but the Warriors have a real shot here. I mean, here's the thing. Ultimately, one of these teams have Steph Curry and the other one doesn't. So when, when you have Steph Curry, you simply can never be counted out. 
Another thing about the Warriors team, uh, uh, I feel like their management has done a great job acquiring players that have, you know, come through and played, like, super valuable minutes. You look at, like, Gary Payton. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was cut from, like, three different teams. They pick him up, and he's been an excellent defender. Um, and, you know, you look at someone like Jordan Poole. He was a wonderful draft pick. They just have a lot of guys that can play. I mean, they, they played 10 guys over nine minutes in this game. Um, and, like, Kaminga didn't play at all. Um, you know, so this is a deep team that I think is going to be very hard to deal with, especially later in these playoff series when guys are a little more worn out. Yeah, absolutely. The Warriors are awesome. They have great player development. Yeah, uh, 100%. 100%. Uh, anything else you want to add on the playoffs? Any, any Anything that you feel like, like a new take that you would have uh, that maybe it's a surprising take or something like that moving forward? A new take? Putting you on the spot. Right? Um, I mean, the new take would be that like the Warriors' death lineup is pretty clearly the best five you can possibly put together um in in basketball right now as far as like compare mm-hmm. that five to whatever the best five is for the suns or the best five for the bucks that five that the warriors can put on there that small ball five is the best five that any team is capable of putting on the floor yeah it's they're they're for sure fun to watch um, let's kind of move on here to our last topic because we'll have plenty of nba to talk about in the future um, my favorite day of the entire year is coming up this Thursday, 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Trevor, you hear me talk about this for weeks, um, and we're approaching the day uh, very, very soon here. It is the first round of the NFL Draft. Um, as we know here, I'm a diehard Baltimore Ravens fan. I get so much excitement seeing who they are going to draft. They have the 14th overall pick, um, and I'm super excited to see what they do with their pick. Um but, I mean, Trevor, you're, everyone likes the NFL draft, right? Yeah, I mean, I'm definitely looking forward to the NFL draft, sure. I mean, I always want to see who the Patriots are taking, and then, you know, Brady's back with the Bucks, so there's, uh, you know, a little bit of uh, interest in to see who, I guess, the Bucks get, even though they don't have great, I don't think they have great picks. Um, but, yeah, it, the NFL draft is always great for so many reasons. Um, even, you know, despite the fact that, you know, this the quarterback draft is not deep. Uh, this year it's still you know always very interesting yeah and really as a draft class as a whole I I actually don't like this class that much I I, I think it's a rather weak class um, to me there's only a couple really elite prospects which I'll get into in a second but like one thing we talked about the before the pod uh, Trevor's like you know you heard on like from the ringer uh, one other podcast I think you said where you know this whole first round you take away like four or five guys at the top end it's all relatively similarly rated guys, you know, and even if you look at, like, on ESPN, like, their ratings, so, like, you know, 25 is an 89 overall, and 8 is a 91 overall, so yeah, these are very similarly rated guys uh, in this first round, and I, I think there's a good amount of talent in this first round, and even some of the second round picks, um, but overall, as, like, a whole, um, this is, is a, uh, really not a wonderful class. It just isn't. Um, we definitely have a couple of lead prospects. I, I guess I'll kind of go into them a little bit here. There's really, I think, four or five guys I like a lot in terms of like true elite potential that I think will be like high-level NBA players, or excuse me, NFL players. First one, of course, is Aiden Hutchinson, the man from Michigan. I absolutely love him. He should 100% be the number one overall pick. We saw the Jags. 
Um, they kind of needed a tackle and they needed D-end. Um, they decided, I think they franchise tagged or they just re-signed Cam Robinson, uh, the tackle from Alabama. Um, it seems like he's going to play left tackle. To me, that kind of takes out tackle for them. It seems like they have committed to getting Hutchinson um, once they, you know, re-signed him. Hutchinson and um, um, oh, uh, Josh Allen, excuse me, I was forgetting the guy on the other side of the line for the Jags. Um, it's going to be a very scary uh, line to go against. Uh, someone's going to need a very good right tackle because if you're going against Hutchinson or Allen, uh, it's not going to be a fun task. Um, so, uh, hopefully the, where, where are they? The AFC East, right? Who? Are they South? Who is? The Jags? Ja- Jags, the Jags are South. Yep. South. AFC South. They gotta get some good tackles for sure. Those guys are gonna be hard to go against. Hutchinson is also the most pro-ready player. His game is incredibly, incredibly refined. There's very, very few things that I think are weaknesses for him. I mean, obviously every player has weakness. Um, the only thing that I think could potentially be better is his uh, run, you know, his uh, abilities against the run. He sometimes can get blocked up a little bit there, but besides that, this is such a unique level of talent. Hutchinson will be the top pick, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, Ekem Ekwanu. Oh, go ahead, Trevor. Well, no, no, no. If, if you're still doing top prospects, keep going. Then I was going to ask yeah, a different yeah, yeah. question. Yeah, I'm going to do a couple more. Ekem Ekwanu, the NC State tackle, and Evan Neal, the Alabama tackle, are two fabulous, fabulous prospects. Um, both of them, I think, are, are great uh, high-level tackles. For me, I like Evan Neal more. Um, and the ringer has the best here. The, the two comparisons for uh, Aquanu is Tristan Wirfs, who's been excellent this past season, one of the best tackles in the league as a rookie. Um, and we have Makai Becton, who was an amazing player for the Jets, who I absolutely loved in last year's draft um, out of Louisville. Um, and I personally, I like Evan Neal a little bit more. I think he has a little more experience than Aquanu. Um, additionally, he played against way higher level talent um, and better uh, defensive ends in the SEC. Um, Evan Neal is who I would have as the first overall tackle. Both these guys are incredibly ready for the NFL and will be able to fill a left tackle spot immediately. Um, both are fabulous prospects. Um, Ahmad Gardner, the cornerback from Cincinnati, I think is a very, very high level cornerback. There are some other cornerback prospects here. Derek Stingley. We have Trent McDuffie from Washington. Uh, we even have Daxton Hill, who's kind of a cornerback safety. Um, he's played a lot of different positions from Michigan, who I absolutely love towards the end of the first round. Um, but to me, Ahmad Gardner is the only prospect that's a cornerback, safety, whatever, defensive back, whatever you want to say, that really has all the skills um, to be that QB or cornerback one who can really uh, do well against you know that X receiver, that top receiver on NFL teams. Kavion Thibodeau from Oregon, the defensive end. We've seen some character concerns come out about him. Um, I love him. I think he is the most talented player in this draft, uh, even more talented than Hutchinson. Um, and I, I've said months ago I, that I would take him number one overall. Um, now, it's changed a little bit. I think Hutchinson is, is rightfully number one, but uh, Thibodeau's going to slip to like 7 through 12 in my opinion, maybe like 5 through 12. Um, whoever gets him will be getting a steal because he's a top three high-level player. Uh, the last guy I want to mention, um, which we're going to talk about receivers a ton because there are so many good ones, um, but uh, all the receivers in this first round, I mean, we could very well have a lot of them seem like they're going to be great. Drake London, to me, looks and feels exactly like, um, exactly like Mike Evans. Uh, and I think he has this like super high playmaking ability. 
uh, and whatever team gets him will have a very, very, very good player under their belt um, who will be a great asset on a team. Trevor, what was your question before? We yeah, kind of so that's actually a perfect transition. Um, so, so you mentioned receivers. This is a strong receiver draft. Yeah. If super, if strong. you had to pick any one position, like this is the this is the defensive end draft. This is the receiver draft. Do you think it is? Would you say receiver is like the strongest position in this particular draft, or would it be another position? It's not even close. I don't think there's another position that has even five good prospects in it. Like, really great prospects. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously there's guys that are good for value, you know, like if you get them like the fourth round. But for receivers, I mean, like ESPN has on here David Bell from Purdue, who I love. Um, he's 6'1", 212 pounds, really, really crafty. Uh, he didn't run a very good 40, which like people are going to say is like a big deal. But I love David Bell. He just seems to kind of catch everything. He's the 20th ranked re- or 19th ranked receiver. Uh, and I mean, I he's going to be like a top four round pick. He's going to be like a fourth-round pick, which is still great. Wow. Uh, we have Justin Ross from Clemson, who's here at 18. Um, he is 6'4". He has super, super, super great potential for these, you know, uh, one-on-one catches. And even, like, in the top 10, we have so many great receivers in the top 10. The top four, or really five, are marvelous. Wilson, uh, Garrett Wilson from Ohio State. Drake London, who I think is the best receiver from USC. Another Ohio State guy, Chris Olave. Jamison Williams, who if he didn't tear his ACL... Uh, would be the top receiver picked for sure. Uh, literally, the ringer compared him to Jerry Judy, who's already good, but they're like, he's just way faster than Jerry Judy. That's <laughs> insane. pretty good, yeah. Traylon Burks uh, from Arkansas, who is just a utility knife. He plays exactly like Debo Samuel, who the ringer also compared him to. Um, Debo Samuel might be the most valuable player in the NFL at this current moment because he plays 90 different positions. Mm-hmm. Um, and wherever he signs, he's going to get some ma- massive contract. But the wide receiver class we have, there are so many good receivers. Teams like the Packers and Browns are really going to benefit from that. F- benefit from this. The Browns don't have a pick till day two, so uh, it's it's going to be quite a while till they pick. Um, and they're going to be able to get a very very good receiver to help uh, Deshaun Watson uh, alongside Amari Cooper. Uh, so the Browns, I think this is the, the a good draft that they got rid of their first round pick because there's so many great receiving prospects, um, and a, a lot of them are going to flourish in the NFL. Yeah, and so with all those great receivers, you you need quarterbacks to throw it to them. So I know mm-hmm. this is a weaker quarterback draft, but I guess Brandon, can you talk a little bit about like maybe the quarterback you like most, and maybe you could talk about a couple of mm-hmm. other quarterbacks as well. So, really, I don't like any of these quarterbacks. I, I don't like any of them. They're all projects to me. Uh, and not that that's necessarily a bad thing. And it's kind of been, like, a popular trend to draft projects. Uh, we saw, like, Trey Lance last year get drafted. He hasn't really played. And when he did, he was horrible. Um, and, uh, you know, we've seen, like, Mitch Trubisky, he went really high. He was a project. Um, obviously, didn't exactly pan out. I don't think Trubisky's terrible, but that's been like the popular thing in the NFL is to draft these projects. I mean, you even look at Lamar Jackson; like it was complete. I mean, he's changed defenses forever. So, uh, to me, there's the top six quarterbacks here: Willis, Pickett, Corral, Riddler, um, or Ritter, excuse me, Howell, and Strong. I don't think are bad. None of them are bad. They all have potential where they could be starting quarterbacks and, and at least do semi well. To me, the top quarterback is Malik Willis, but he is a big project. He uh, did not play the level of talent that a lot of these other quarterbacks played. Not that that really matters, especially at the quarterback level. 
Um, his deep ball is fabulous. He throws an amazing deep ball, but he's not overly accurate. It's going to take time to get him more and more accurate. Um, and, uh, you know, that's definitely something that obviously is important in the NFL being accurate, but it's something that's a little more difficult to teach. All of these quarterbacks, to me, kind of have, like, glaring weaknesses. Um, and, like I said, like his, his accuracy is, is going to be really, really tough. Another thing is he, you know, not only did he throw 12 picks last year, he took a good amount of sacks. Uh, NFL defenses are a lot more complex than what he saw, and it's gonna it might be a little bit tough for him to really get in uh, like that headspace in that position to be doing better. Desmond Ritter, I think, is the guy that has like the biggest gap of like you know where he could be. Uh, he's just a big question mark, I think. You know, uh, the Ringer compared him to Daniel Jones, but in a good way. I don't even know what that means. Um, there's not many good things about him. Again, uh, consistency issues are a big deal with him. Uh, he definitely has the ability to throw the long ball well, uh, but just like uh, just like Willis, his accuracy is a big question. Uh, so you know, it's 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 tough. He's going to be interesting where he goes. Uh, you know, just you know, Lamar has had all this success and. Ritter runs a four five two forty. That's that's very very fast. If you can get that accuracy down, I mean, imagine a more accurate Lamar Jackson. That, that'd be crazy. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely wild. Uh, the other quarterback I want to talk about is Kenny Pickett. Kenny Pickett, in my opinion, is the most ready for the NFL. Uh, the Ringer compared him to Tony Romo, which I think is a really good comparison. He also has a very good amount of experience. Um, as he was a redshirt senior, so he's he's coming into the NFL at almost 24. Um, so I, you know, that that some people could see that as concerning. I I more so see it as that he has a little more experience on his belt, more times with the ball in his hands. Um, I know people are saying like his hand size is a concern. I don't care about hand size at all. That's stupid. Uh, you know, there's plenty of quarterbacks with small hands that have been great. Uh, so I I, I know people are not going to draft him because he doesn't have big hands. Whatever, it doesn't matter. Pickett, to me, is the most NFL-ready quarterback. I think he's going to be a safe pick. I completely see someone like the Steelers taking him. You know, the Steelers are good right now. They don't really want to take some crazy risk in drafting a Willis. You know, that's that's more so for a team like uh, the Falcons, who are not that great right now, you know, or uh, someone like, I don't know, the Titans, if they were to get rid of, uh, uh, what's his name? I'm forgetting his Tannehill. Mm-hmm. Someone like that where they, or Carolina especially, who just isn't good yeah. right now. Uh, that's who's going to be taking a Willis, a Ritter. Uh, but Kenny Pickett for the Steelers to me is like a perfect place for him. I hope that doesn't happen because I don't I don't want them to be better than what they are. But they probably will be drafting a quarterback and I think he will be it. Oh, but yeah, yeah, overall, this is really a weak quarterback draft. I, I don't like, I don't love any of them. I feel like normally I go into years and I love quarterbacks. Like Justin Fields last year, I loved um, you know, Lawrence obviously was a good prospect. Um, you know, in, in years past, like even Baker, even though he turned out horrible, I thought he was the right pick at one. And even in that draft, we had Watson and Mahomes and stuff. So, you know, I don't see us having a successful quarterback in this draft, but I do think there's potential in Willis and Pickett. Um, Matt Corral even is pretty good. Ritter, people are like super high on all of a sudden. So we'll have to see. It's going to be a very, very interesting quarterback draft. Yeah, you know, and and if the Steelers do get Kenny Pickett, he wouldn't have to move very far. He might have to not have to move at all because no. he goes to Pitt, uh, call or he went to Pitt College. So that would be interesting for them. Uh, he could compete with Mitch Trubisky, 
But, you know, my instinct, mm-hmm. and I haven't seen all these guys, like Matt Corral, I don't even think I've seen him throw a football, to be honest. But, like, Desmond Ritter and watching him and watching Kenny Pickett, I, I watched a little bit of Sam Howell. And I've at least seen, like, you know, highlights of Malik Willis. But this is just my instinct, again, because it's not a lot to go off of. But I kind of think Desmond Ritter uh, is the best quarterback. I just like looking at like all of the winning that he's done with Cincinnati, watching some of their games this year. Like you said, he definitely has flaws. He's not perfect, but you know the the winning nature that he had at Cincinnati. You know, I've watched a couple interviews where he's just like talking with reporters, and I don't know. I just there's just like something about him that I I feel like he could be a decent quarterback. I don't know. And the other thing with like quarterbacks and drafts is that it's very hard to predict. Like, we've seen past quarterback drafts that maybe were advertised as, like, this is a really good quarterback draft, and then maybe some of those guys don't end up being as good, whereas maybe, I don't know, maybe this draft, it's advertised as being a weak quarterback draft, but who knows? Maybe maybe one of these guys will be, like, you know, an elite quarterback one day. You never know. Yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely very, very possible. It's It just doesn't seem quite as likely in this yeah. draft. Uh, none of these guys seem to have like this like super special abilities um, that I feel like we've had in the past uh, in, in a lot of these quarterbacks. But I'm I'm just one man. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, so I guess like this this might be putting you on the spot a little bit. But there are are there other prospects that I guess is there any one prospect or maybe multiple prospects that maybe aren't getting a ton of love or maybe aren't as highly regarded by by the experts by the draft analysts that maybe you think could be like a sleeper or you think are better than what um, mm-hmm. many people are are saying. So I have a couple. Um, the first one I want to start with is, is this is a person that does get a lot of hype, but because of the injury, they've dropped a little bit. Is Jamison Williams? He tore his ACL. He'll be back. I think he'll be fine. I think it was his ACL. Um, and, and yeah, he tore his ACL in, in the national title game. Um, his his player comp is Odell Beckham Jr., but way faster. And because he tore his ACL, he's gonna drop, and he's dropping like ESPN has him at nineteenth overall. That's where he dropped to 19th overall. That's crazy. I mean, even if you look at if you look at um, the Ringer, they have him at 15th. They have him at the top receiver. So teams might stray away just because he tore his ACL. He's going to miss training camp, which does hurt for sure. Jamison Williams would be, in my opinion, a top seven pick if he wasn't hurt, and is the best receiver in this draft if everyone was fully healthy. Uh, the next one I want to talk about is Daxton Hill, the safety slash cornerback from Michigan. He's a, just a utility knife of a player. He does kind of everything. He was a five-star recruit. He committed to Alabama, then decommitted the next day and committed to Michigan. He made a right choice. Um, and he is a wonderful prospect. I absolutely love him. He's like the perfect modern-day free safety. Um, he can play alone as a safety, as the single high safety. Um, he is a hard hitter. He can cover space super quick. He has a really great 40 time. Uh, I really, really like him. It, it's a, the type of guy that I think will be super su- successful wherever he goes. Um, I'm trying to think. There's definitely one other player I want to mention. Uh, I'll mention two more. I'll mention two more. Got to go back to Michigan. David Ajabo, another guy who would have been like a top 15 pick if he didn't get hurt. Um, Ajabo had a pretty horrible injury at his pro day at Michigan. Um, and uh, he tore his Achilles. There's hopefulness that he'll be back in time for the season, similar to what happened with Cam Akers. It was just like six months somehow. 
Uh, I mean, that man's an animal. That's crazy he got back that fast. I'm hoping Ajabo can, can do that. Ajabo's, like, the ability to get off of the block is fabulous. Um, and he will be an amazing, probably day two prospect. I can still see him going uh, day one uh, towards the end of the first round, but probably a little more unlikely. The last player, I, I want to point out, Trevor, I'm about to mention this player. I don't want to talk about this player. I really don't want to. He's, he's not the type of player that I want to talk about in the slightest bit. However, I think he is the best running back in this draft, and that is Kenneth Walker the yeah. third. <laughs> Kenneth Walker is so, so, so good. His two-player comps on ESPN is Kareem Hunt, who I think is an amazing back, and J.K. Dobbins, who is also an amazing back. This guy's going to be a day-two pick for teams that are need running backs. Kenneth Walker is perfect. Everywhere he's went, he's been successful. He was not only, like, the best running back at Michigan State, he was, like, by far the best running back at Michigan State. And as much as I hate Michigan State, um, he is such an explosive player um, who has an, uh, he has some ability to, to you know, catch the ball. Um, not an amazing one, but he is a complete downhill runner. Um, you know, once he catches the ball, his, his ability to make guys miss is wonderful. I have Kenneth Walker as the, the top running back in this draft. Um, and honestly, I, I think he's worthy of a day one pick. I really do. Wow, running back, worthy of a day one pick. Interesting. Yeah, even though running backs should <laughs> never be drafted in the first round. That's a separate thing. But I, I he's he's that good. He really is that yeah, good. Yeah, for sure. A- anything else, Trevor, you want to talk about NFL draft? I think we kind of covered a lot of it. It's going to be very exciting. Uh, maybe I'll even live tweet it. Should I live tweet a little bit during the draft? My sure, thoughts? Sure, why not? Yeah. You should. I think that could be fun. I think you should. Maybe maybe I'll do that on the small mother account. We'll, we'll do a little live tweeting uh, straight from the draft. Potentially. We'll see. We'll see how I'm feeling that day. But any, anything else you want to talk about, Trevor? No, I think that's about it. I mean, like, I'm, I'm excited for the draft as well. I'm excited to see who uh, the Patriots get and, you know, stuff like that. I think it's going to be, you know, yes, we, we talked about it, a little bit of a weaker draft. But the end of a draft is always very interesting, especially that, that first day. Yeah. Another thing at the NFL draft, which, like, I know we've talked about before, Trevor, it is, like, by far the most valuable draft. Like, picks matter way more in the NFL draft than pretty much any other league. And even late-round picks, like third, fourth, fifth-round, even sixth-round picks, are very, very important to these teams. I mean, you look at the Ravens. The Ravens have nine picks in the top four rounds, and a lot of those guys will be playing this year on a team that is competing for a Super Bowl. Uh, Same thing with the Browns. The Browns have later-round picks, not quite as many, uh, but they have holes that need to be filled around a really great quarterback. Um, so it's it's going to be a, a great draft. Um, it's a wonderful day to see who your team takes. Um, they're getting new players to wear their colors. Um, I cannot wait. So maybe, maybe a live tweet. I think that'll be fun. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but I, I think we'll wrap up the pod there uh, for today. Thank you all so much for listening. Of course, subscribe and leave a five-star review if you enjoyed it. Follow us on Twitter at the Small Baller so you know when all of our podcasts go live. We will have another AA team coming out this Tuesday. If you missed that episode from last week, please go listen to that. That that one was excellent. Trevor, what what did you think of the the, the episode? Oh, I loved it. They did a uh, thirty for thirty draft, and uh, you you can't miss it. That was uh, really good. It's it was really, great. Uh, it was absolutely wonderful. Um, but we will have a new episode of that on Tuesday at seven a.m. I think. Uh, so you have it for your morning commute. Um, But with all that being said, thank you all so much for listening, and we'll see you guys next time. Go Falcons!